So we've been talking about faith, and it's going to seem like we're changing subjects today, but it occurred to me in the worship that what I'm talking about this morning is actually still faith, even though it's going to seem like a complete change of subject. And, um, but what's prompted this message this morning is actually current affairs. It's, it's not very often that um, current affairs would dictate the sermon, and we're not even going to be talking about the current affairs. It's just things going on at the moment in Israel and in the Middle East. We're not going to talk about those things, but those things have caused reactions in the body of Christ all over the place. There's all sorts of things on Facebook, and it, it is a tricky subject, but I think we need to take... It, it's actually important for us to take a few minutes and to ask ourselves the question, what is Israel? And um, the proper answer to that question changes a lot of things. So we're not even going to talk about the war <laughs> or any of the stuff going on. I, I agree, everything that is happening is horrible. No matter which angle you look at it, it's horrible. And I know there's so many people have been saying, we've got to pray for Israel. Um, we do. We do have to pray for Israel. We not just Israel, the whole entire situation. We have to pray about it. But how do we pray about it? We need to be biblically informed. We need to know what the Bible has to say. And then we need to pray in the way that Jesus would pray. If Jesus was going to pray, we need to pray like him. And... Um, and not just pray off our feelings or not just pray based on how other people are telling us to pray. We need to know what the Bible says. And so we're going to, um, we're going to go to, I think, probably the, the greatest expert on this topic in the Bible. And that would be none other than St. Paul. Don't you think he would be, if there was anyone in the Bible that knew what Israel was... It'll be Paul, wouldn't you say? Let's find out this morning what Paul thinks Israel is. And I remember a few years ago, my father did a whole series of messages on the end times. And those were quite um, ground shifting for quite a few people in thinking, you know, just having a proper grounding in interpreting what's going on around you I remember there were YouTube videos um, at the time that said, this September, the four horsemen of the apocalypse will ride. There were videos like that, which are all very interesting. And even if you didn't believe them, you did want to still watch them. Um, but I'm, you know, I and thankfully most of us here, we're not alarmed by that type of thing anymore because we've got a pretty solid grounding on, on how to understand things like the horsemen of the apocalypse and stuff like that. We understand our Bible in a fairly solid way. And we need to understand Israel in a solid way too from the Bible. If you don't, if you misunderstand Israel, you will pray in strange ways. You will act in strange ways. It causes countries to do strange things. And it has an effect on the world around us that we don't want. And I'll get to the end of this message and I'll explain a couple of the things that thinking wrong about Israel will have an effect in the wrong way, which is very harmful to the gospel. So it's really important for the sake of Christ, for the sake of your prayers, for the sake of the gospel, to be 
super clear about what Israel actually is. And we're going to do that today. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 9, St. Paul. And he's writing to the Romans. <laughs> the people who lived in Rome. And because, uh, <laughs> you know, the Romans could be anyone in the Roman Empire. You know, they're all Romans. But no, he was writing to the actual Romans who lived in Rome. So um, Rome, it was a funny church, the Roman church, because and this isn't my subject right now, I'm just getting slightly rabbit trailed to just give you a bit of clarity for the book of Romans. But, you know, when the Israelites, uh, when the people of Judah were attacked by King Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament, the Israelites spread all over the all over the ancient world. So they ended up in Rome, as well as in lots of other places. So um, it turned out that Paul, you know, starts travelling all around the world preaching the gospel, and everywhere he goes, he preaches to Jewish people first because um, they've actually already got the understanding of the Bible, and it's really, really simple to turn up to find the Jewish people and, um, well, explain, hey, now we know who the Messiah is, and in an instant you have a church. It's the perfect starting way to start. But in Rome it was interesting because one of the Roman emperors, and I was just scratching my head earlier this morning trying to remember, I wish I had looked it up, I think it was Caligula, decided he didn't like Jewish people and he kicked them all out of the city of Rome. So we ended up with a church in Rome with no Jewish people in it at all. It was just all Gentile people. But then after a while the Jews started filtering back into the city so you ended up with this kind of a church there that was the Gentiles were in charge. So in lots of other places you have all these churches where the, it was the Jews that started the church and the Gentiles were adding in, but the Jews were in charge. But in Rome you've got this church where the Gentiles are in charge and Paul had never been to Rome, but he got there eventually. But he writes this letter to the Romans and he's got to sort out the, the Jewish Gentile stuff so for them, because all sorts of crazy stuff were going on, the Jewish people thought they were the better Christians. The Gentiles thought they were the better Christians, so they were doing it their way, which they thought was clearly the better way. The whole book is really, this is kind of the, the context of the whole entire book. But there are three whole chapters just explaining what's Israel. We're going to look at chapter 9 today. But when you get to chapter 14, which is not our topic for today, he talks about the weak and the strong brothers. You remember, has anyone ever heard of this? The weak and the strong brothers were actually the Jews and the Gentiles, except the Jews thought they were the strong brothers and that the Gentiles were the weak, but the Gentiles thought they were the strong brothers and the Jews were the weak. Interesting, but it's the, it's the context of the whole book. The Jews thought they were strong because they had the, the, the way of doing it that was really ancient. And you Gentiles, you know, you don't do things properly. And, you know, we're the strong ones and you're just the Johnny-come-latelys that, that, you know... But the Gentile, Gentiles thought, we don't have to follow all these antiquated laws. We're strong. We're not tied down by rules about the Sabbath and all of this type of stuff. We're strong. You guys are the weak lot. Anyway, that's another sermon. But it turns out that everyone thinks they're the strong Christian. And everyone thinks everyone else is the weak Christian. It's human nature. No one goes around thinking, I'm the weak Christian. Everyone tends to think their way is better. But the point is, you're supposed to be gracious towards 
the other questions that you think are weaker than you. <laughs> but they think you're weaker than them. <laughs> anyway, this, Paul writes this whole book of Romans to a church that's actually run by Gentile people, but it's got this big mixture in it. And in this letter to the Romans, he explains what Israel is. And we're going to look at that today. I'm going to start in chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 to 5 to get going. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and uneasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I was cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God. Overall, forever praised. Amen. So he starts out by saying... I'm really saddened for my people, my race, the people of Israel. They've got all this stuff. They've got it all. They were called. They were the chosen people. They had the promises, the prophets, the Bible. They got the lot. Jesus was Jewish. Why is he sad? Why is Paul sad? Because he'd say, hey, they got it all. They had the promises and the prophets. They had the word of God. They had Jesus. The Messiah was Jewish ancestry. If they had it all, why is he in such anguish about them? You're about to learn something. If everything was okay, you wouldn't have been in anguish. But it wasn't okay. And it bothered him a great deal. So we're going to come back and answer the question about why wasn't it okay and why was he so bothered about this. But let's go and let's read verses 6 through 9. He says, It is not as though God's word has failed. You know, like they've been given all this stuff. They've been given God's word. And God's word hasn't failed. But he says, For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Stop about now, he's starting to define. Not everyone who's descended from Israel is Israel. We start to see that Israel isn't ethnicity. He says, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. Being born the child of Abraham doesn't mean you're his descendants. Just because you can trace yourself back to Abraham does not mean you're Israel. On the contrary, he says, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Now, it's going to sound like an oxymoron. I'll come back and explain it in a second. In other words, it is not the children of physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Now, you would say to yourself, all right, Isaac, he was a physical son, right? He was actually descended from Abraham. So what's the go with this? 
But no, Abraham had two sons. He actually had more than two, but the two that we often know about. Ishmael was the son that he had through trying to have a son. But Isaac was the son that he had through faith, through a promise. Now, they're both descendants of Abraham, but it turns out it's through the promise that you become the son of Abraham. So Israel is not the son that comes through the effort of trying to be a son. It's not the son of natural descent. The son, or the true Israel, is is a result of a promise. And it's a result of faith. So he makes the point that not all Israel, not all ethnic Israel, is Israel. The ones who are in because of the promise, those ones are Israel. So in other words, there's there's a whole bucket load of people that are descended from Abraham. We call them the children of Israel. We call them, you know, Israel. But, and some of them are Israel, but they're not all Israel. Some are, but some aren't. And the thing that makes the difference is faith. Faith in Christ, as it turns out. So it's through Isaac, it's through the promise. So, let's jump a heap of verses. Now, you're actually going to get homework. You're going to have to go and read, (laughs) because I don't have time to explain all of this, and this topic was so big, I've decided I'm going to go for the very, very simplest approach this morning, just to make it simple. But the topic is huge. You, can, you should go read all of Romans chapter 9, all of Romans chapter 10, and all of Romans chapter 11 for homework this week, and then think a great deal about it all. But I'm going to now skip right up to verse 25 of Romans chapter 9. Now he's going to quote Hosea. Now Hosea, I'm really looking forward to getting to Hosea in my Bible videos. Hosea is one of the fated prophets who had a wife command from the Lord. Quite a few of these prophets were given wife commands. So, for example, Jeremiah was told, do not get married. A horrible wife command. Ezekiel was told, your wife's going to die tonight. Don't be sad. That was a horrible wife command. Hosea got told, go marry a prostitute. Another horrible wife command. There's a whole collection of these wife commands with the prophets. I'm just grateful I wasn't one of them. But Hosea marries this prostitute and she goes off doing what they do, and ends up having children that are not his. So it's not just the fact that he's got an unfaithful wife, it's the fact that he ends up with kids that are not his kids. Because, you know, ancient times, family planning wasn't as much of a science as it is now. And um, so he ends up with children that are not his children. And I'm looking forward to... um, to doing the book of Hosea because the meanings of the names of the children are really interesting. The first child is called Lo-Ami, which means basically not my kid. Ami means people, Lo means not, means not my people. So his first child is born and he's basically called not mine. Um, 
It's really, really sad. You go way back to the Old Testament, way, way, way back, and the, the Ammonites, remember the Ammonites? That's the word for people. That lady that called her son Ammon because it was her, her son, it was my people. Actually, it was because her father was the dad. It was a bit weird, so that's why it was my people. But, um, but that was Ammon or Ami, but you get to Hosea and it's low Ami, not my people. This boy that was born, not my kid. The second girl that's born is Lo-Ruhama, not loved. Look, the whole Hosea story is just tragically horrible. But Hosea prophesies, because the Lord gives him a prophesy and says, I will call them my people who are not my people. I will call them loved who are not loved. He's talking about the Gentiles. There's a whole group of people in the world that were not God's people. They were not the chosen people. The Jews said they were just bastards. They were not loved. But the Lord speaks through Hosea and says, I'm going to call those people my people. I'm going to call those people loved. It's an amazing book, Hosea. Anyway, Romans chapter 9, verse 25. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. And I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called the children of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the Israelites be, Israelites be like the sand of the sea, only a remnant will be saved. Israel is a, a multitudinous nation, but only a part of Israel is saved. Only a part of Israel is included into Israel. But of these other people, the Gentiles who are not loved, they're loved. They're called my people. Some of them are in Israel as well. So let's go to verse 30 to 32. What shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it. A righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as it were, by works. So Israel are trying to be in with God by works, by following the law. The Gentiles didn't know any of that stuff. They just believed. It's like the two children of Abraham. One, Ishmael, was the one that was obtained by working it out and figuring it all out. But Isaac was the one that was obtained just by faith. So the lesson is, not all who are Israel... Not all who are ethnically Israel are Israel, but some are. But it's through faith. If you have faith in God, you're Israel. It's an amazing idea. Do you know what that means? That you are Israel. You here in the room today, we are Israel. Now, maybe not everyone in the room, because I don't know that everyone in this room has got faith. But I think most of us would. 
And if you don't know the Lord, get yourself in faith. Because he, the, all those promises that were given to the Old Testament Israelites, they're actually your promises in faith. So Paul, in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, we're going to just sneak into the next chapter a little bit. He says this, Brothers and sisters, my, desire, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they might be saved. Remember I said back in chapter 9, verse 1 to 5, there was something that bothered Paul so much. The anguish of his heart. He wished he could be cursed and cut off for the sake of his people, Israel. Why? Because they're not saved. They don't know the Lord. They're not included in, in Christ. Now, some of them are, but a heap of them weren't. So it bothered Paul a great deal because the people he cared about the most didn't even know the Lord. There's actually seven Israels. There's actually, sorry, seven things that are called Israel. There's really only one true Israel, and it's the subject of another sermon, and the true Israel is actually Jesus. Jesus Christ is the true Israel. And if you are in Jesus Christ, then you are Israel too. Um, but there are seven things that we, we call Israel. Number one, it's Jacob, a person. His name got changed to Israel. Number two, it's his descendants, ethnic Israel, or the children of Israel. Number three, there was a country in the Bible called Israel, the nation of Israel. Number four, Israel had a civil war and split into two countries, and the northern nation was called the nation of Israel. So it's the divided nation of Israel, that's number four. Number five, it's the true Israel, Jesus Christ. Number six, it's renewed Israel, or spiritual Israel, which is the topic I'm talking about today. And number seven, there's a country in the world today called Israel, which I contend is not even mentioned in the Bible at all. Some people said, oh, um, you know, some people have said that, that Israel is an Old Testament thing and and we can't say that the church is Israel anymore because that would be replacing Israel and, and there's all these prophecies in the Old Testament about Israel and, and they're clearly about the physical nation of Israel and some people have said all that. That's not what Paul says. That's not the way that Paul understood it at all. There isn't a replace... The church doesn't replace Israel... This is, I probably shouldn't go too much into this because it's just going to get distracting from the point. But there's a big argument in theology today about whether there's Israel and the church as two completely separate things or whether um, the church has superseded Israel and Israel doesn't exist anymore. And I'd have to say they're both wrong. The church is Israel. Israel has continued all along. It's the same entity that God always intended in his mind and his heart in fact, when you get to Romans chapter 11, which we're not going to talk about today, but you're going to read in your homework, you're going to see exactly what I mean. 
because Israel is described as a tree, an olive tree. And there were certain branches that ended up getting chopped off because they weren't fruitful, but other branches got added in. The branches that got added in were the Gentiles. The branches that got chopped off were the unfaithful part of the Jewish people. But it's the same tree. It's the same tree the whole entire time. The church doesn't replace Israel. The church is Israel. And the church and Israel are not separate things. They're the same thing. It's the exact same. It's very, very clear in the Bible. There's one olive tree. They're not two olive trees. There's one. And do you know that when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, now this is considered to be the birth of the church, right? Church's birthday, day of Pentecost. He preached a sermon to Jewish people. Everyone listening was a Jewish person. And what did he tell them? He told them they needed to get saved. He's telling Jewish people they needed to be saved. And 3,000 of them got saved and the church was born. So the church on the day of Pentecost was 100% Israeli or 100% Jewish. There's not this moment where suddenly there's no Jews at all and it's only Gentiles and that's called the church and the Israels are not. No. For years and years and years there's a church in the world. The church is completely filled with Jewish people only and that, in God's mind, was Israel. As we look back through the Bible, there's lots of stories about Israel. So we... It's so easy to get your Israels confused because I said before there's seven things called Israel, six in the Bible and one in the world. And um, it's so easy to get your, your Israels confused. So, for example, Elijah the prophet. Who remembers the story of Elijah the prophet? And, you know, the Israelites were worshipping Baal. And Elijah comes along and says, if God is God, worship him. But if Baal is God, worship him. Remember that whole story? It's, I think it's 1 Kings chapter 17 or it's somewhere there. Or second, anyway, forgotten. Second Kings it would be. Um, that's Israel. That's the nation of Israel that was worshipping Baal. Are we going to hold them up as a great example of what the true Israel is? Not at all. The Lord had to send a prophet along to them to try to get themselves sorted out because it turned out Israel wasn't even worshipping the Lord. The Bible's full of that stuff. Over and over and over and over again, Israel is not following the Lord and he has to send a prophet. Eventually, he has to send his very own son, Jesus Christ, and they kill him. But some believed thank God, <laughs> or we wouldn't exist. So when Paul says that they've got the promises and they've got the patriarchs and did God's word fail? Not at all. He's completely right. Thank God we have all those things. Thank God there was a historical Israel. Thank God for all the prophets and the promises and the temple and the law and the Messiah. Where would we be without any of it? And the, wherever the real thing was, that was Israel. But that was all surrounded by fake Israel all around. In the day of Elijah, some people were in Israel, but all the people who were ethnically Israelites were not in the true Israel. Otherwise, there would be no need for a prophet. 
Moses. The entire nation had no faith, only Joshua and Caleb. The entire nation, a whole generation went past. God got rid of that 600 and whatever it was, 1,000 people, or 1.2 million, whatever it was, had to have another lot that could go into the promised land because that lot had no faith. That was Israel, but it wasn't Israel, except for Joshua and Caleb and Moses. What about Jeremiah? Anyway, but the point is you can go through any, pick a spot in the Old Testament and there are the faithful ones who are Israel in God's mind but then there's all the other people that are ethnically descended from Abraham that are living for themselves or living without faith or whatever you want to call it as. In the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, the Lord says to says to Moses, but to all the people, he says, you know, that he wants to have a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people devoted to God. What does Peter say about the church in the New Testament? Exact same thing. He wants to have a holy nation, a royal priesthood, people devoted to God. If you're in Christ, that's the holy nation that the Lord was wanting. He started it way back there in the Old Testament, and hopefully you're a part of it now. Right? Except back then, the Levites were only the priests, but now you're all the priests. So you've all got priestly responsibilities in God's holy nation. Back then there were 12 tribes. One of them was called the Levites, but now you're all Levites. <laughs> or you're all priests, let's just say that. Um, because if you've got faith, you're a part of, you are a part of Israel and you've been called to serve. So when you look at it from Paul's point of view, it's really, really clear. I have a son um, who is not my biological son. You all know David Elijah, right? But his last name is Ali, and he, I can tell you, is an Ali. There's no other way. It doesn't even cross my mind that he's not an alley. I have not even thought this thought. I'm only explaining it to you now. I'm thinking it now as I'm explaining it. But I, it doesn't even enter into my mind as a thought that he is not my real son, so to speak. Never, ever think of it. I decided when I took that kid into my family, he was my kid. And he accepted me as his real dad doesn't mean we agree about every single thing in life, but he's my real kid. He's a part of my family. It doesn't matter if you're not biologically related to Abraham. You are God's real family if you've put faith in him. If he accepts you, you're in the family and you are Israel. It cannot get any clearer than that. So I hope you could dig a lot deeper on this topic and defining it. But to, to basically say, what is Israel? It's anyone who's put their faith in Jesus Christ and has become a believer. You are in Israel if that is you. So when you see in the news a nasty war going on in the Middle East, 
and there's an actual country that's called Israel. Yes, it's, it's an Israel. It's a country with the, with the name Israel, but that is not the Israel of the Bible. That's just a country that happens to be called the same name. There are other countries in, that are in the Bible, like Egypt and Lebanon and Syria. There's a lot of countries in the Bible with the same names, but we don't carry all the meanings of the Bible through and dump them all on these countries in the world today. We don't do that because we know what the real Israel is. And when we read prophecies in the Old Testament about Israel, we now realise Jesus has come along and he's the answer to those prophecies, not some country in the world today. So if there's a prophecy in the Old Testament that says, I'm going to restore Israel, is not the country. It's the body of Christ. It's what Jesus is going to do in the world yet. God had a plan for Israel. It went to, into exile. It went into all these terrible things. But he was never, ever talking about the country. He was talking about the real spiritual thing that was always Israel. And when God says, I'm going to restore Israel, it means he's going to do something with Christians and with the church. It doesn't mean that you have to pray that Israel defeats the Palestinians, which seems to be how a lot of people are praying we don't take sides in this war because it's not the godly position to be. As far as I see it, it's just a horrible, horrible situation and it definitely needs our prayers because the only answer to that situation is the gospel. Palestinians need the gospel. Israelis need the gospel. Pray for them to get the gospel. That's the answer to the problem. That is how a New Testament Christian should think about what's going on in the Middle East. If there's a horrible war and people are being killed, if, yeah, there are atrocities, there's terrorism, I get it, but there's also retaliation with way worse weapons than what was started off. Like, the whole thing is a terrible disaster. Thousands of being, people are being killed. Now, we don't say I'm standing with Israel as though we're the biblical position is to support this physical nation. It's not. The biblical position is to love them all and pray for them. You can't just pick a country and say, that's God's favourite country, I'm going to stand with them. That's not right. And it leads to a lot of unimaginable and horrible consequences, including the fact that millions and millions of Muslims all around the world won't accept the gospel because they think Christians are so one-eyed they'll only support Israel as a country. It's not right. I don't know if you've ever read the speech that Osama bin Laden gave after he attacked Twin Towers. Now I'm getting into current affairs and politics. I probably should try to avoid this whole topic, but it's an interesting read, but you don't have to read very far, about five or six paragraphs where he says that the reason they attacked the USA September 11 was because of their support for Israel. Why does America support Israel? Because it's full of millions and millions and millions of Christians who don't know what the real Israel is. And they think they've got to stand with the country of Israel because that's what God wants. It's not what God wants. What God wants is us to care about them all and to pray for them all. There needs to be a gospel breakthrough for Palestine. There needs to be a gospel breakthrough for Israel. There has to be a Christian way of thinking about this and not just some kind of heretical misunderstanding of the Bible that leads to a huge gospel blockage to Muslim people all over the whole entire world. 
You can hardly talk to a Muslim about the gospel with this just coming up straight away and stopping them from receiving Christ. It's got to be sorted out. Besides, you know very well that when you pray the wrong way, it empowers spirits. If you're in this church, you would have learned that because of my father's great teaching on these topics. When you pray the wrong way about Israel, you empower spirits that do a great deal of harm in this world and kill a lot of people's lives. And we as Christians have to get our brain in the right place. So don't post, I stand with Israel, because that's... But pray for Israel 100%, definitely. Pray for the country of Israel, but pray for the church as well, because we need to be clear about these things. And um, there's quite a few verses in the Bible that say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. When I read a verse like that, I think of it in two ways. I think of it, the actual city of Jerusalem, boy, does it need peace. And I pray for it to get peace. But the true Jerusalem is also the church. It's another topic. So if you're really going to pray for Jerusalem, pray for the body of Christ. Pray for the Prezies down the road. Pray for the Anglicans and the Catholics. If you're going to pray for Israel, pray for your fellow Christians that live right here in Rockhampton. That's praying for Israel. There's a lot of verses in the Bible that say things like, if you pray for Israel, you know, if you, if you pray for Israel, you will prosper. Whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be, will be cursed. It's not the physical nation of Israel that those promises apply to. It's the church. Bless the church. Don't go around cursing the church. Don't go cursing parts of the church. Don't look at Christians in other churches and say bad things about them. If you curse God's people, you bring a curse on yourself because you are God's people. The things you're saying about others, you're saying about yourself. Bless God's people, who is Israel, because if you do, you're blessing yourself because you are Israel. To me, it's like really super clear. I hope it's all clear to all of you. <laughs> I've been going through the, the Bible one chapter at a time in my videos. I've gone through so many chapters of Isaiah and Jeremiah, and to me, it's just super clear. There's these passages in like um, Isaiah from you know, about chapter 40 onwards to about chapter 53 or 54, all the servant chapters. I don't know if you know about all the servant chapters, where it looks like Israel is being described as the servant. But it's the church that's being described as the servant, and it's Christ that's being described as the servant. Go and have a read. Well, like I've just been so clear in my brain as I've been going through the Bible that this is the way it is. There's some parts of Isaiah and Jeremiah where it says these most fascinating things, like it'll say a whole prophecy about Israel, and then it'll say something like, this will not be understood until the latter days. Well, the latter days is now. It's not the end of the world, it's now. And, but at the time of Jeremiah, they didn't have a clue. The former days is, in the Jewish brain, two periods of time. The former days is everything up to the Messiah, and the latter days is everything after the Messiah. You know, the Messiah splits time in two, so to speak, which is exactly what happens. The calendar is split into two. It's before Christ and after Christ. I know they've changed it to BC and BCE because all those scholars are, you know, mostly not Christians, but I love the old before Christ and AD. I love AD the most because it means in the year of the Lord. He's the Lord. <laughs> Isn't that an amazing thought? We're living in the year of the Lord, the Lord's kingdom. 
But that's the latter days. We're living in the latter days. And these prophecies in Jeremiah that are saying things like, this will be understood in the latter days. Dead right. We got it so clear. Now that Jesus has come and we understand what Israel really is, it's so clear. It's amazing to me that, that they said that. And um, I just am amazed constantly by those Old Testament prophets. So anyway, you can go and watch all my videos if you want, whenever. They're all up online. We're up to Ezekiel. We're going through Ezekiel at the moment and having a lot of fun there too. There's some very interesting things in Ezekiel, I can tell you. In a couple of days, Ezekiel 13 is going to come out. And in it, God says, I am against your pillows. Believe it or not, he says that. I think it's hilarious. Go and watch that video, Ezekiel 13. So what did Paul do? We copy him. He prayed that Israel, ethnically, ethnic Israel would be saved. The church has not replaced Israel. The church is Israel. It's one continuous thing from the time of the Old Testament. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, and also in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says there is no Jew or Gentile. If you're in Christ, there's only one man. There's no difference if you're in Christ. It's the same thing. All right. So, I think that's pretty much what I have to say. Your job this week is to go and read Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, and think about all of that. Don't criticise other Christians who misunderstand because they're very, very sincere. And it's, um, it's a topic of the heart. It's a heart topic. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like some things are really taken to heart. Like you read over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament that Israel is God's chosen people. So you take it to heart as a kind of a core belief without understanding what Israel is. Do you know that there are people in the world who are Muslim who actually have become Christians and they really had to wrestle over this and some of them um, have come to the place where they can say, all right, God did, did really prefer ethnic Israelites. They've come that full entire shift around to believing the wrong thing what a struggle it was but those people had to lay down everything about their inner core beliefs to come to that place i just think that's unbelievable but it shouldn't have to happen like that well we can be we can pray we can make a difference but i would say don't pick an argument if you don't have to if you see someone posting things that you think is wrong don't harbor a grudge <laughs> Don't pick on them. Don't start an argument. Just pray. Just ask the Lord to give them understanding. And so at least let us be clear about what we need to do, how we need to pray, and do pray. Definitely do. Because, you know, when the war in Russia and Ukraine started, was it a year or two ago? I don't know when it started. Did we pray for them? I don't know if you did or not, but I sure did. I have prayed for that war any number of times, because I can't help but see things on the news. To begin with, I was all worried about the Ukrainians because they're having their cities blown up. Dave Smith is surrounding up his orphans. They have to flee for their life. All of this is going on. It was so sad. We pray for them. But then I start realising there's all these poor Russian kids. They're 20 years old. They've been recruited into the Russian army. A lot of them are Christians. They're Russian Orthodox. They've got no choice about the matter. They're getting killed. Mums are losing their kids over a war they didn't want. The whole thing there is a terrible disaster as well. So then I start praying for the Russians as well. What, do we, what else would we do? 
Of course we would pray about everyone. That's what Christians do. It's just that because this current thing has got, one of them's called Israel, it just confuses everything. But no, let's just remove the confusion. Let's be Christian. Let's love them all. Let's pray for them all. And let's believe that that gospel blockage that's out there in the world, stopping Muslims from finding the Lord, let's believe that'll be removed. So let's not make it harder for them than we have to. All right? So we've been talking about faith. Like we talked last few weeks about how to witness. You witness by faith and grace. Last week we talked about how to get in faith. And now it seems like a complete change of subject. But in reality, Israel is those who are in faith. Right? So it's still the same topic even though it's a completely different angle. So what are we going to do? We're going to be people in faith, aren't we? Right. But we're also going to do what Paul did. And we're going to allow the burden of others that don't know the Lord to rest on upon our heart and we're going to pray for them. So if you see things on the news that, are, that bother you, and, you know, why wouldn't they? They're sad. Pray for them with a big Christian heart of love, just as Jesus Christ would do. All right? I'm going to invite the band to come. We're going to have a prayer. And we'll leave you with these thoughts. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that we got included in Christ. Thank you that there were these people that were called not my people, but we are your people. I just can't think of anything more wonderful than that. I thank you that the love of God was for everyone, not just for one ethnic group. So, Lord, we just say thank you this morning. We've been included in Christ. We've been included in Israel. I don't know what to say. Lord, we're really grateful. And I ask that you would now bless us each. Help us to be really clear about this whole topic. I also pray that in the events of the Middle East, regardless of what happens in the days ahead, as, as horrible as it possibly might be, I pray that you would be in there for the glory of God to bring good things out. And we do pray for peace in the Middle East. Lord, I ask that the gospel of Jesus Christ would make headway Lord, just like the gospel has brought peace between cannibalistic tribes that missionaries went to, I pray that that same gospel of peace would do the same in the Middle East. So, Lord, bless your people that live there and empower them as they work and serve in the midst of that difficult location. In Jesus' name, amen.